Thank you, Janet. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, help me as we unpack this passage to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and help us to understand and obey what it says to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're getting towards the end of Jesus' epic Sermon on the Mount. It is an epic, isn't it? It's marvelous. He set out, he's trying to set out what it truly means to be a disciple of Jesus. He wants people to be clear about what's involved. No doubts. Now, just as in chapter 7, he's already told us not to, to be judgmental. And I'm sure we've all been brilliant at that ever since, haven't we? Yeah, maybe not. Um, he's also uh, warned people about that, and he's asked people to ask, seek, and knock, to, to receive God's gifts and blessings. Access God, go for God, listen to God, be with God. But then there follows four warnings. Not often you hear a sermon that ends up with four warnings. He says there are two gates, and notice the gates come before the road. We enter the kingdom of his disciples through a gate called Jesus. He is the gate. That's why he said it. I am the door. I am the way in. You come into this kingdom through me. And no one can come to the Father but through me. He is the door into the kingdom. Uh, once we get through there, the, gate is, uh, the, gate, the road is narrow, indicating that it will be a tough walk. It won't be an easy walk. Anybody who's told you that Christianity is a walk in the park is telling you rubbish. It's a narrow road. It's going to be tricky. But the gate that's hard to find and the hard road leads to life. Life in all its fullness. And then there's another one or two of options. False or true teachers, which we looked at last week. And they will be measured by their fruit, not by their eloquence. And Jesus is setting out these dichotomies all the way through this last chapter. And in verses 21 to 23, we have the really interesting one. And I'm sure we've been given this, this one to do because it's just such an interesting little passage and challenging in the extreme, I think. Thanks, mate. I love you too. It's not comfortable territory, is it, this one? Because either we look at ourselves and we say, well, I'm not worthy. Look at me. Look what I've done. Or even worse, we look at someone else. Well, if that's what being a Christian means, I'm sure he won't get in the kingdom. No way. I mean, I do that. I used to do that with Brian when I worked with him for years, you know. But, but, but we've got over it, mate, haven't we? So that's all right. So I think the easiest way is to kind of unpack this nice and easily through the, through the passage and see what it is that Jesus is saying. Firstly, not everyone. That's not easy. That's not popular. Most of us would probably want to say, Let's have every person in heaven. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will be there. Let alone those who deny the existence of God or have refused a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus has talked in depth about this. In Matthew 25, he makes it crystal clear. Listen to this. All the nations will be gathered before him when he comes in glory. To those on the right, he will say, Come take your inheritance. To those on the left, he will say, Depart from me. Sheep and goats. Departed those who come in. You cannot escape the idea that in the Bible there is a division between those who go to be with God and those who don't. 
And anybody who teaches otherwise is, is not being helpful. Now, it's interesting what the criteria is, but we'll come to that later. Secondly, not everyone who says. Now, Jesus is clearly talking here about a person who has confessed Jesus as Lord, but whom Jesus knows has not truly repented. In other words, if you like, it's all talk. Now, don't misunderstand this. A public statement of your faith is desirable. It's what we ask in the pool of baptism, don't we? Is this your faith? And the candidate will say, this is my faith. It's a public declaration spoken out. This is what I believe. And Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 helps us here a lot. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Listen to this. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, but it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. You speak of your faith with your mouth, but if your heart is wrong, it's noisy gong, clanging cymbal time. It's meaningless if it is only spoken. 1 Peter 3.15 helps us again, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. That's the beginning point. We often miss that bit out when we quote this verse. But then he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Yes, we speak. This is not Jesus telling us to be silent. It's not that. Quite the contrary. But if there is not a heart given to God at the center of it, it means nothing. But you may say to me, I've, I've had days where my faith is rocky. I'm not sure my heart is given to God at this moment. Well, join the club. We've all been there, haven't we? We've come to church, gone through the motions. We've said, Lord, Lord. When Brian led us, did we pray with him completely with a heart for God? Maybe some of us have got so many things buzzing around our heads that we weren't quite there. It, it happens. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, who makes themselves known. This is what the problem is that Jesus is on about. It's someone who makes themselves known in a Christian community, does lots of things, wants to be praised for everything they do, and to be seen as a key figure in the life of the church. Look at me. It's all talk. And there's no heart. Let me tell you, it's a battle for those of us that end up doing what I'm doing right now. Is what I'm doing now just all talk? Or, or does it come from a heart that, that is longing to be serving God, thinking of God, praising God, as Brian helped us to do at the beginning? It, is, is it about that? Is it a heart that wants that gift of Pentecost to anoint and help and challenge and move on and keep me going with God in that kind of way? Is, is that what I want? Because if it's just talk, it's counterfeit. Thirdly, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. At this stage of Jesus' ministry, Lord is probably little more than a term of respect. But in the context of Matthew's gospel, this word is very interesting. 
It has greater significance. It's often used by people coming to Jesus in search of spiritual help. Straight off the end of the Sermon on the Mount, if you take trouble to read 8.1, chapter 8, verse 1, somebody says to him with leprosy, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean, Lord. He acknowledges Jesus that is Lord is someone who can give that man help. He knows he is something different, Lord. Even the disciples, when the storm is getting them very anxious or when they try that sort of unfortunate way of walking on water, Lord, save me. Lord. I, I find the Lordship of Christ difficult at times. Is it, is it actually true that Jesus is Lord truly of every aspect of my life? Is he really Lord? Lord, Lord, is he? If I've said no to him, I'm a contradiction. Because if he is Lord, then the answer is always yes. No Lord is a contradiction. The answer is always yes. So people who pay lip for service and trip off the word Lord have lost the significance of the Lordship of Christ. And I challenge you as I've challenged myself as I've prepared this, and uh, I don't know about the other preachers here this morning, I, I preach in my car. I'm very good at preaching in my car. Do you do, you do that? Do you, do you no. preach? No, you don't. <laughs> See, I'm an inadequate being here. But I, I get up, I think, you know, if I say that and I say that, and I, I turn it around and say it. And I struggle with this one. But it does help me understand that if I am constantly trying to say, yes, Lord, then point four is that we know what the entry point is to the kingdom of heaven. Who may enter it? He who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, Jesus is not looking to you for eloquence, for showmanship, he's simply wanting obedience. Obedience. This causes some people real pain. They say, but I'm not always obedient. No, nor am I. Now, at this point, we must realize, of course, members of the clergy here at Trice Church are always completely and wonderfully obedient to the will of God, aren't you? Thank you, brother. Now, this is where I think sin comes in and is very helpful. 1 John 1 8. If we confess our, if we claim to be without sin, that was the old version, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. An understanding of sin is extremely liberating. It really is. When we know we get it wrong, we know our gracious Heavenly Father will forgive and cleanse us. I have come to understand that I am a sinner. Now, that is not me or God pointing the finger at you and saying, you're the most wicked person on the planet. It's saying what you are and what I am. A sinner saved by grace anointed by the Spirit to live for God day by day, week by week, 
doing what we can to stay on that path of obedience. God, knowing that we will blow it, we will get it wrong, we will deny him, we will say things we wish we didn't, and so on and so on and so on. But we are still on that narrow road. We still want to be there. We want to do the Father's will. Have you ever woken up about the day before and thought, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I hurt that person so much? Well, let me tell you, there are stacks of people in God's kingdom. And they're all people whose heart is to know God's purposes. But know only too well they got it wrong. Those are the people that are trying to obey and follow in their hearts by faith what God commands and just to make it really certain Jesus is very clear boasting has no currency now I guess one or two looking around this erudite congregation this morning could pull out some really good CVs you know I don't you know I did this my son does this to me you know he's uh, he's a bit of a muso he does lots of worship singing and all that kind of stuff and he always says to me dad have you ever spoken at the Albert Hall I said what do you mean no, I've never spoken. Oh, he says, I've played there. So that rules him out of the kingdom straight away, doesn't it? So he loves to pull that one on me. You know, so I've, I've done things at the Albert Hall. You never have, Dad. But that's not what it's about, is it? Jesus slams it here, doesn't he? There's nothing wrong with being quietly proud of things you've achieved. That's fine. Looking back on your life and saying... God was good there and that, that was achieved. That, that's not, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But the idea that we stand before God and we rattle off our Christian CV is unthinkable. It's, it's like me sort of saying, well, I did this, I did this, I was a trustee of that and I did that and I spoke there. And, uh, and God says, well, actually, I created the world. I sustained it and I raised Jesus from the dead. What are you talking about, pal? So boasting cannot be right because it comes from a heart that's wrong. It sees self as the most important thing, not obedient service. And that's not what God wants from us in any way, shape, or form. So even if you've done great miracles, cast out demons, Jesus said, I never knew you because your heart's wrong. That's tough. Finally, the judgment. Jesus' pronouncement happens, notice in the text, on that day, he says, I never knew you. Firstly, it's only Jesus who makes the judgment. One of, that comes out of a heart of perfect justice. We need not fear the verdict. Secondly, it is only Jesus who is the judge. No room for such comments as you look around this congregation and say, oh, and he's a Christian, he does that. Cut it out. Thirdly, it is only at the end. Some people have a theology of second chance when we get to glory. I don't. I don't see that in Scripture anywhere. We don't have a chance to renegotiate our way into heaven when we get there. But I have a theology of hundreds of chances. Hundreds of chances in your life. Between now and when the Lord returns. To say to him, Lord, Lord. And mean it. When you get it wrong, just say, Lord, I'm sorry. 
That one John verse is so powerful, isn't it? Jesus wants you. He wants your heart. What motivates you is serving God with your gifts, your creativity, all that God has put into your person. But somebody who knows they haven't got it always right is what God wants. Someone who has that awareness of sin, who needs God's gracious forgiveness on a daily basis. It will not always be as we would like to be, but we will strive to do what we can while God gives us breath. Our hearts warm by the knowledge that the very thing we're celebrating today, God's Holy Spirit coming, will be with us and will never leave us, will help us, challenge, drive us on until that day when we meet him face to face. And I want to finish with a piece of paper that's been on my desk for many, many years. And when I looked at it this week, I thought, that's the way to finish. And it goes like this. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his. I don't look back, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense, and my future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, feeble giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, plaudits or popularity. I don't need to be right, first, top, recognized, praised, regarded or rewarded. I now live by presence, learn by faith, love by patience, live by prayer and labor by power. My pace is set, my gate is fast. My goal is heaven, my road is narrow. My way is rough, my companions few. My guide reliable, my mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, diluted or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity. Negotiate at the table of the enemy. Ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let go or slow down until I've preached up, prayed up, paid up, stored up and stayed up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go on until he comes. Give until I drop. Preach until all know. And work until he stops me. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problems recognizing me. My colors will be clear. 
May it be so for his name's sake. Amen. Let me pray. And then the band, if they could come up ready to take us further forward as we respond to what God may have said. Father, we are your disciples if we have tried in our hearts to follow you by faith. We have often got it wrong. We have often let you down. But you are a gracious God and you forgive so much. So help us to go from this place this morning convinced that we are part of that fellowship of the unashamed. Because you who came from above, the pure celestial fire to impart, kindle that we pray in our hearts, in our lives, that we may walk with you by faith until the time comes when you call us home and we will be with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.